Hello, and welcome to E-Cubed Podcast, Enterprise Endpoint Experts. I'm your host, Bill Burnett from Adaptiva, and our guest today is Amy Casto. Good afternoon, Amy. Hey, Bill. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. We're going to be talking today about the Windows 10 Creators Update, which, as you uh, have pointed out to me, is not really just for creators at all. There's quite a bit for professionals, correct? That is absolutely true. So you're a senior systems administrator focusing on configuration manager, and you're also an industry expert. You do a lot of public speaking. This year, you'll be speaking at MMS in May. I'll be there. You'll be at IT Dev Connections in October as well, speaking on Config Manager. So you're very involved in Config Manager, uh, the community as well. Yeah, this is correct. I understand you're a runner. Is that right? Yes, I am. Um, I try and run a few half marathons a year. I have one coming up this April. Uh, the first one out is always the hardest. Uh, it's more of a mental battle than a physical one. Always, why do I do this? Why do I run? I hate running. And then I finish and then I feel great and then sign up for another one. Really? So you do you do several a year? I, I do, yeah. <laughs> I'm aiming for one yeah. a millennium. I missed last millennium, but I've still got time in this one. <laughs> Plenty of time, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll get there. Okay, so let's dive in. Windows 10, the creator's update, numbers for people who want the numbers, it is uh, 1703, correct? It's 1703, although I know that there was an update that's pushed out that's bumped it up to 1703.2. I'm not sure if there will be any more last-minute updates that will bump that build number a bit, but the main thing to understand is that it's 1703. Okay, great. Windows updates. There's a lot of changes in the way Windows updates work and are presented. Is that right? Yeah. So the biggest change that we're going to see is the unified platform feature. This is going to be available for use after you upgrade, and it's supposed to make the packages smaller and possibly install faster. Um, some other great changes that you're going to see is that you can snooze updates for several days. You can set your working hours. So am I going to get interrupted with updates? Um, you can set that to 16 hours now, whereas before you could only set it for 12 hours. You can pause all your updates for up to seven days, and then those subsequent reboots that happen after updates resumed, you get better control over that, over the restart notifications, and when you actually reschedule those reboots. Okay. And I heard that it has some sort of better sense of when you might be doing something, like uh, better intelligence around figuring out, oh, wait, this person's doing something, even though I'm not seeing a whole lot of mouse clicking or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So the behavior that people are used to is that when, like, if you go out to Microsoft Update and just allow auto-updating, you'll get prompted with, with a notification that says, hey, your updates have been applied, your computer needs to restart. We think that this is the best time, like, say, 3 a.m. on a Wednesday, so we're going to go ahead and schedule that reboot for then. Um, so you can reschedule that reboot for that time. Um, but the, the biggest, I, I would say, tension point that people had is that the system thought that the user wasn't doing anything because there wasn't any mouse or keyboard activity. And we'll say an, an architect, for example, doing 3D rendering. Um, so you're not doing a lot of mouse clicking or anything, but you're actually rendering out something that you've worked on. And then the computer says, hey, I don't really see a lot of user activity, so I'm going to go ahead and reboot now, and then you lose all of your work. Well, that's supposed to change now. Oh, okay. Well, that, <laughs> that seems nice. So the settings app, let's dive into that. What, um, what's new in the settings app? So the settings app, when you hit the Windows I key or if you search for settings within start, is that the dashboard is a little bit different. You'll notice that apps and features has moved to the top node. It used to fit in the settings node within settings. Um, it's great to see it out in the dashboard. 
And if you aren't familiar with apps and features, it's just the modern programs and features or add remove programs that you'd find in the control panel. And by the way, I checked it's still there in control panel. So if you want to interact with it there, you can go ahead. You just get better data about what's on your system when you use this modern app. Um, the other thing that you'll notice that's changed is that troubleshooting has moved to top level as well. Not only that, but troubleshooting is a bit more useful within your Windows session, whereas before you actually had to reboot into a troubleshooting session to really get anywhere. Um, so it's just nice to see that you're getting a little bit more help. Yeah, sweet. Okay. And the Edge browser, I know Microsoft keeps just improving and improving Edge browser, and there's more improvements here. Uh, before we talk about Edge, let me ask you, what, what browser do you use? What's your browser configuration of choice? Mm -hmm. My preferred browser is Firefox, uh, followed by Edge, actually. Um, I do have a little bit of love for IE, just because I've worked on so many projects over the years where we had to make IE work in our environment. I just have a, a, a strange attachment to it, we'll call it. <laughs> um, so how about you? <laughs> Fair enough. Well, actually, my favorite browser is Opera, but I don't really use it because it, it just it is often incompatible. So, um, And I don't know why it's my favorite. I just like it was rooting for Opera for years and years, and they, they never quite made it into the big leagues. Uh, so I really use Chrome. It's just it's super compatible, so it makes it easy for me. Okay. Okay, so Edge, what's new? So the Edge browser is providing a more immersive experience, and this just taps back into that, the Windows 10 creators update being about innovation and creativity. Uh, so a big change that you'll notice is that tabs can be expanded to show previews of all your open tabs. So you can get a visual representation of what you have open, so you don't have to guess, hey, I see the title of this tab, but I don't really know what's on this page. Um, so you can actually visually understand what you have there. Um, the other thing that's cool is that you can actually set aside uh, the feature is called set aside. Um, so you can stack your current tabs as groups and then load them all up again later. So that's really useful for, for people who use tabs as bookmarks. But the gotcha there is that it's not persistent. So if you close the, the window, they're all gone. Ouch. Yeah, that's really painful because, yeah, I, I count on being able to open a browser and have my tabs. Uh, so I imagine that's probably going to get a lot of helpful feedback from users who are <laughs> gently yeah, and not so gently telling them. My definitely use Edge um, and then provide feedback in, in, in the Insider Hub because Microsoft really wants to know what you want from this browser. I know that there's a big push to use this, um, especially with enterprise feature features like Edge Redirect, which lets you use Edge. And then if it's not compatible, it shifts you back to IE. Um, so you have to you have to do your part and provide feedback for what your experience is within this browser so that you can really help shape the future of it. That's a really good point. And Microsoft as a company, these past, uh, at least over the past year and maybe longer, has really turned into just a hungry company that is eager to hear what people want and then make smart decisions about doing what they can to put that into their products. Yeah, this, this is true. It's so great to see that they want our feedback now. Yeah, yeah. So what else in the uh, new Edge? Uh, another cool thing is, uh, as everyone knows, Cortana is integrated within the ecosystem. So you can actually set Cortana reminders on your tabs. So if you're using browser tabs as a to-do list, this is a great thing to start using as well. Um, and the other cool thing is that previously, Edge could open all types of file formats to be used as an e-reader. Uh, the newest one to join is the EPUB file format, which, again, is just another e-reader file format. Um, the only sad part about it is but it doesn't support annotations, so you can't take notes on it. And browser security, have they done anything with security in Edge? 
yeah, so security has been hardened a little bit more. I know Microsoft likes to say that Edge is not only the fastest but most secure browser. Uh, so some things of note here is that the Edge sandbox is stricter, with its access prohibited to a wide range of Windows APIs. So if an attacker gets malicious code to run within the browser, that code now has fewer opportunities to actually break out of the browser process and attack the system. And the other thing of note here is that the process that handles the web content can no longer mark data as being executable. So again, some great security hardening that we're seeing here. Awesome. Okay. And what kinds of changes are there to the, uh, we say, we say out of the box experience or Ubi, which I guess is what everybody says now, but um, there's no literal box, of course, there hasn't been for decades, but what, what would you say is new about the uh, out of the box experience for Windows 10 creators update? My favorite change is that there's Cortana support in setup, so you can actually run through setup and do it voice controlled. So this is a great leap forward for accessibility. And what about privacy? The privacy settings, has that changed at all? Yeah, so I've seen some screenshots of this and it looks really great. So before, the behavior that everyone's used to is when it gets to the section about privacy, um, there's an express button that you can pick uh, to just have the have the default set, but there's no real explanation about what you're picking. Um, so how it is now is that um, you get sent to that page to set up your privacy. Everything's turned on by default. There's slider buttons to turn it off so you can really fine tune your privacy. But there's also explanation for each section of, of privacy on what it is that you're setting up and what that really means. Uh, so I think a lot of people are really going to like that. Yeah, that's really awesome. I like that just in general for any kind of configuration. Yeah. Okay, and then this isn't quite privacy, but a tangential topic <laughs> because this data mm -hmm. is technically um, not identifiable as you, but telemetry data. Let's talk about uh, what they've done with telemetry in Windows 10 Creators Update. Yep. So there's just more of an understanding of, of what you're picking when you when you actually turn on telemetry. My professional opinion is that you should turn on telemetry. I understand that that's a really sensitive topic, and some people are going to say, no way, there's no chance I'll do this. Um, but really what I want to hit on is, is the difference between if you're picking basic or full. Um, so I'll just go ahead and explain it. Um, when you pick basic telemetry, uh, what you're doing is allowing Windows 10 to send security data to Microsoft along with some other data. And the purpose of it is to help improve application stability and compatibility. The Microsoft recommended level is actually full. Um, and the details around this is really if Microsoft can't gather data via internal testing, it can gather additional data like registry information, diagnostics, power config, um, system information, large crash dumps like heap dumps and full dumps from a small number of PCs with full telemetry enabled that have experience with whatever problem it is that they're researching. This is really important. Again, um, it's a type of feedback that you're providing without having to sit through a support call when you're talking about a problem if you just want to get on with it. Just send the data to Microsoft and allow them to use it um, for internal testing that they can't really reproduce on their own. And so what do you see? You work in the configuration manager world, and you know a lot of sysadmins. What do you see generally amongst the um, people you know in the community? Are they turning on telemetry or not so much? Yeah, everyone is turning on telemetry that I work with. Just the understanding is, is what you're picking really kind of determines what information you have available to you with, say, um, 
uh, OMS in the cloud, so useful data for yourself that you can pipe back to your help desk or your own analytics team to really get useful information about like battery or uh, memory or CPU, fan help, stuff like that. Um, you're not going to get that when you pick basic. You'll definitely get that when you pick full. Don't shoot yourself in the foot, though. Definitely turn this on unless there's some like security standard at your company that absolutely prohibits you from doing it. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And they've updated some, or not updated, but they've included, I think, for the first time, right, some blue light support? Yeah, blue light support. This is a big one in, in the industry as a whole, is really being able to control what kind of light comes from your screen at certain times of day. There's a lot of studies about this, especially um, in parenting groups, about kids that are getting too much screen time. Um, but the the bottom line is this. Um, if you have an iPhone, you may, you may be familiar with it, with the uh, night shift feature. Uh-huh. So you can set a certain time of day when the when the the I don't know, is it the tone of the light that changes where the phone almost turns a little bit orange instead of a bright blue? Um, So this is the same thing that we're seeing happening in Windows 10 now, that you can actually sync it with the sunrise sunset so it's done automatically. You can define your own hours to say, hey, every night at 10, change the blue light that emits from my screen uh, so that I get better sleep at night when I do walk away from my computer. Okay, so this, okay, that seems like a good thing to put in there. It's totally optional, although it does bring up for me questions about um, what blue light? I didn't realize that was a problem. <laughs> so, but <laughs> I, I, does that apply to Netflix as well? Is it, are, that's that's what I'm wondering. Do I need to worry about this across the board? Or maybe some shows have less blue light. Like Game of Thrones is actually okay, but Silicon Valley maybe has too much blue light. <laughs> exactly. I, I don't really watch a lot of TV having, having a toddler in the house uh, because he generally wants to watch trains and things that just aren't very interesting. So yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really come that. up for you. Windows Defender Security. What's new? So the dashboard has been completely overhauled, not only visually, but features that you have within it. Um, of note, the enterprise version gets even more security and manage- manageability features with the Windows Defender Advanced Threat Protection, or ATP. Um, something that I think is really cool when I was going through this is that there's actually a section within Defender now that admins can add their own insights to threat or in- intrusions detected on their network. You can even upload samples to Microsoft within the Defender dashboard. And who doesn't want to send a virus to Microsoft? Right. Um, the other cool thing about ATP is that it's also integrated into Office 365. So an admin can see, for example, what email contained a malicious file. Okay, nice, nice. Um, and I think the last topic on our list for today is <laughs> something that the configuration manager administrators love talking about, BIOS to UEFI. Oh, yes. This is the big one that's coming with this update for the for the admins. Uh, so the thing here of note is that it's not BIOS to UEFI per se. It's actually MVR to GPT. This is uh, a Microsoft-supported automation that allows you to switch your partitions without data loss, whereas before you couldn't do that unless you were using some third-party thing that you trusted. I generally shy away from those. I'd rather do what Microsoft is testing and supporting. Um, So what I will say about this is that if you're running BitLocker, you'll need to suspend protection. And then to resume protection after you convert, you'll need to delete the existing protectors and recreate them. 
for people who don't know what that means, protectors are methods for how BitLocker is protected. So that's a PIN code, a password, TPM, certificate, and those can be changed without decrypting the entire volume. Now, if you have third-party disk encryption, you need to wait for the vendor for when they plan to support it because there are post steps such as turning on UFI, secure boot, and the BIOS. Um, so if you have a Dell or HP, those are automated, but the problem is the encryption vendor needs to support it because you can actually trigger a device lockout or a brick. Um, but if you don't want to wait um, for, for them to support, you'll actually have to decrypt your, your drive before you can actually go through the process of converting, and then you'll have to re-encrypt afterwards. Um, so you do get a, some time saver and pain saver if you're already using BitLocker for your encryption. Um, otherwise, you need to wait a little bit after. I know the vendor that we use said that they'll support it by March, or I'm sorry, by, by May. By May, um, okay. So it is coming. And um, so this is typically going to be used, obviously, in wipe and load. It doesn't really matter that much, which is a common upgrade scenario. But for in-place upgrades, it's huge, right? Exactly. And so what's the workflow like? Like, how, how, is it, how is it working? What's it doing exactly? Yeah, so a quick walkthrough of how it works is that there's disk validation. Is this actually MBR? Um, if it is, we'll proceed. Then the disk is repartitioned to create EFI system partition or ESP. Uh, if it doesn't already exist. And then UFI boot files are installed onto the ESP. Then GPT metadata and layout information is applied. Uh, the boot configuration or BCD store is updated. And then drive letter assignments are restored. And that's my favorite part. I don't have to worry that Windows isn't going to be on C uh, when I boot back into my OS session. It's not going to be on G or F or anything crazy like that. Everything's going to stay as it was. <laughs> Okay, that's great. Well, this has been a lot of good information. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Is there anything else you want to say before we close here about the new Windows 10? Yeah, so the thing of note for Windows 10 is how it's going to be deployed is that Microsoft is going to make it available for what they've tested on the most first and then do stage deployments out there uh, until eventually they get the hardware that they've tested on the least. And then obviously they're not going to make it available for hardware that they haven't tested at all. Uh, if you are an enterprise admin, then you can definitely force it on, on the hardware that Microsoft hasn't tested, but do that at your own risk. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much, Amy. You have a great afternoon. You too, Bill. Thanks for having me. You bet. Bye.